0: Visit beautiful Banff, Alberta from March 9th to 11th for Story Summit 2018, presented by the Alberta Media Production Industries Association and Banff Center for the Arts and Creativity. Story Summit is the premier gathering for North American digital content creators, including filmmakers, producers, directors, camera operators, audio and editing professionals, writers and actors. The summit will include keynote speakers, panel discussions, workshops crafted to sharpen both the technical and creative skills needed to stay relevant and in the game as well as invaluable opportunities to have one-on-one time to connect with presenters and industry insiders at tabletop lunches and other socials at this unique industry networking event. This is the third annual summit, and it focuses on story, technology, diversity, and inclusion in the ever-changing ecosystem of content and media and entertainment. Speakers include John Giegengak, who will look at trends that are leading the way in the media and entertainment industry, as well as a session with Melissa Mullen-Dupuy, 2017 Amnesty International's Ambassador of Conscience, and camera operator Stephen Campanelli, who was Clint Eastwood's cameraman for 25 years, who also worked on three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Gilles Corby, a camera operator on The Shape of Water, which leads the way with 13 Oscar nominations this year. Sessions include The Future in Hand, Entertainment Technology, starting at the end of VFX Workshop, Modern Casting 101, Camera Lens and Lighting, Creating That Look, getting the agent, and getting the deal, and many more. See you in Banff, Alberta this March. And for more information, and to register, visit StorySummit.ca.
1: This is Damien Petty, president of IATSE Local 212. Local 212 is a proud sponsor of the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. We're also a sponsor of the Calgary International Film Festival Oscar Party on March 4th. I'd like to encourage members of the community to join us in celebrating the Oscars and supporting the Calgary Film Festival. Enjoy the podcast.
0: Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. I'm Matt Waterworth. I'm Scott Westby. And uh this is the podcast where we talk about film and screen industries and apps and we don't really talk about apps. We right should after. talk about apps. We more should often talk though. about apps, yeah. yeah. VR. Yeah, VR. Uh and, and uh, this week Nicaragua. Nicaragua, yes, that's right. How was it, man? It was uh it's unbelievable. It's a, it's a really amazing country and I really only, you know, got to see a few bits and pieces of it. Yeah. But I, my first time outside of North America. Um and it was uh it was so cool. I I know so much Spanish now. <laughs> like not, gracias. Not really. <laughs> yeah,
2: I know a couple words. Vamos. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um.
0: But yeah, we uh, you know there's volcanoes everywhere. I was at the top of a volcano. Um, uh, you know, saw monkeys. Uh, my favorite monkey was Pancho on Monkey Island. He the best. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh. Yeah, and stayed at this incredible Airbnb that was like this this uh, house with like multiple kind of like it was like a compound almost not big but a yeah. few different structures oh, okay and, uh and this view of the beach in the distance and um just incredible. yeah i took some cool photos on instagram
2: how was the fruit did you
0: enjoy it yeah fruit? i mean the pineapple was unbelievable it's like a yeah, different fruit right totally the, totally yeah, yeah. it's it definitely shipping definitely changes uh, yeah, the flavor sure. of things for sure um
2: and what about spiders
0: yes <laughs> yeah uh there was uh there was uh, on our first night um, Bert and I are kind of at, in the guest house. So if you were to own the house, there's like a guest house that's a little bit away from the, oh, okay. from the rest. Oh, so we're yeah, it's kind of nice, but also kind of scary. So it, it doesn't always have power. It was uh it was interesting. But our first night we had uh you know, we're we're like scanning the room for bugs and we find this gigantic, it's and it's not a spider, I still don't know what it was. It almost had like a square body and these tiny legs like a spider, but not enough legs for a spider. Uh, and it freaked us out. It was huge. Um, like a cockroach maybe? Yeah, yeah, maybe, but it, but long legs, like right. long oh, legs okay. on the side. Um, and so we kind of like swept it out and, and then we, you know, went back with the group and hung out for a bit, had dinner and then came back and... Whatever that little thing was, it <laughs> was dwarfed in comparison to this massive tarantula spider of some sort uh, and uh, just hanging out in our bathroom. And uh, it was Ugh. it was terrifying. Um, and we got a broom and a, and a dustpan and kind of and didn't kill it and put it outside. And. Uh, After that, it was uh, like every other bug was no big deal. Totally, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Once you you hit that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Scorpions, no big deal. Uh, (laughs) It was was totally uh, kind of a good way to start things off, I guess so. uh, Hey, but we kept finding them. We we found three tarantulas over the course. Not in our not in our building anymore, luckily. But uh, I saw a picture
2: of one in the container. yeah, Yeah. What that was, was the second one was that it, was in the kitchen that was, was it the main bigger house. than the one before i think it was yeah. bigger yeah a little that bit was bigger so yeah. disgusting <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, nasty yeah i don't love spiders yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. to put it gently <laughs> so yeah that wouldn't have been fun
0: but well worth it um sure. i mean the beach is the beach was right there and uh and yeah i got to i've never been on a scooter or i've been on the back of a motorcycle once right um had a blast on a scooter um and, and on a, on an island with two volcanoes, Ometepe, and uh, you have to take a ferry there, and then we of course got got railroaded by these guys trying to <laughs> give us the scooters and we had to oh, right. luckily we had an amazing guy with us named mike who uh, is uh, both an english and spanish speaker so he was like he was not having it and yeah. negotiated us out of this extra yeah thing that they yeah. hadn't told us about before <laughs> um, and we and we took these scooters and, and and took them off to this uh amazing like lagoon that was like a resort it was like this it was like down this dirt road and then suddenly everyone's there and you walk down this path and it was this cool like canopied lagoon with beautiful water and oh wow and like waiters serving yeah. you like at the you know poolside <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Um so yeah it was a great trip over cool, man. Yeah. Right yeah. yeah sweet uh
2: so how did things go uh without me I listened to the podcast. yeah great. yeah it's it was great. Yeah. Um yeah let's get into that in a bit. But um the week was fine. Yeah. We've we've been working on a new movie. That's right. The now. next movie. Yeah um, and it kind of stole my attention um it's really interesting once you um once i now that i've put enough kind of to get the momentum going on on this thing it's all i think about right 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 so but it took a little bit of time though to like get into that headspace mm-hmm, but now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm dreaming about it and i'm you know i can't That's yeah. all it's all i'm thinking about yeah, which is yeah. uh tough to balance you know the corporate work and stuff but of course yeah yeah uh yeah it was, it was a great week cool um what happened this week? Uh, Andrew Fung won the movie. league. Yes, yeah, yeah Congrats. That was good to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I yeah, I,
0: I couldn't do my usual like research and right. whatnot, so I'm not as not doing as great right. this week. But, still uh, doing
2: better than me though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else happened this week? Oh, the the Canadian the uh, Canada Media Fund invested in a, a company in Edmonton, uh, a company called ThreeScape Systems, uh, got six point two million dollars from the CMF. Whoa! Yeah, towards development and marketing for innovative digital media projects. Wow, cool. Very cool. Um, uh, yeah, I guess they work in immersive experiences in 3D um, with a focus on providing a better quality of life for seniors living in facilities. That's pretty sweet.
0: Very cool. Yeah.
2: And I see that Daniel
0: Foreman received the Gil Cardinal Legacy Fund. Yeah, that's very right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, $2, $2, know, bucks for, we know Daniel a little bit from, uh, you know, his work with the Edmonton Short Film Festival. That's right, yeah. Which is cool. And uh, he's uh, a jokester online, that's for sure. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um tom cox received the uh 2018 douglas james dales industry builder award whoa yeah this is pretty sweet wow um oh sim lighting yeah 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 Yeah, it celebrates the canadian production community awarding a producer whose sustained voluntary selfless service contribution and commitment has benefited the canadian film and television production industry i mean i don't think you could argue that tom has deserved this award for quite some time for sure yeah yeah um, So congrats to him. And uh, of course, thanks for, you know, the industry building in Alberta here.
0: Yeah. I mean, without getting too political, that's, I mean, I mean, sim lighting and grip is they're in Toronto and, and Toronto is its own little community. So it's nice that uh, they would recognize
2: someone from way over here in Alberta. Yay. Um, Yeah. That's kind of the big uh, industry news. Um, But yeah, let's get into this, this conversation that I had with Natasha, Tony and Damien Petty um, about creating respectful workplace environments. Um, it's it's a bit of a heavy conversation. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to talk about, and conversations that I'm still kind of learning to have. So. Sure, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a challenging topic.
0: I'm glad I'm glad you tackled okay. it. You took you took the the ball and ran with it while I was gone here, and uh, I'm excited to hear it myself. I haven't yet, so uh, here it is. You've
2: been all over the country, eh?
3: Or, well, we were stateside. Uh, oh, okay. So we were just in Los Angeles. Oh, great. And uh, so Damien was there too. So right. we were doing um, some training for IA reps right. internationally. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
2: so, how does that, um, how did you fall into this, I guess? Because you've been, you've been, like, yeah. I, I don't even know where to start to unpacking all of this. So it's like, yeah. what? What brought you to LA? What brings you here today? Like, just tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Sure. So I um, work uh, doing labor relations for IATSE Local Eight Nine One, which right. is a motion picture uh, local in Vancouver. Okay. And uh, I, my background, I've been in film for many years, almost twenty five, and was a casting director for many years. And NBC in British Columbia, okay. yeah. And went back to school and studied uh, conflict resolution, mediation, and negotiation, and and switched careers about seven years ago. Oh wow! And okay. and uh, started working for IATSE Local Eight Nine One full time.
2: That's a that's a pretty dramatic shift.
3: Uh, I, I yes, I think that it is a it was a shift. I was ready for a change, and I was an active union member, so understood. Um what it was to be a part of a union and that was something that fit and aligned with who I was and so being involved in the labor movement uh understanding uh the intricacies of negotiating negotiating and bargaining was something that really was was something that was of interest So, yeah
2: so the conflict resolution kind of isn't necessarily so different when you're when you look at it that way right where it's just kind of Right, I think. I mean, when we're
3: when we're talking about labor relations, yeah. I think that th- that skill set was what enticed me to um, decide to change careers, right. and so it was it was a slow process. It was probably about three or four years of of training and right. studying okay. to do that, uh, and I think that. One thing that was extremely important in being a union representative and looking at what was happening in um, our industry, in the entertainment industry, was that um, we really needed to have the training for our members around uh, rights, roles and responsibilities um, when it came to occupational health and safety, when it came to how we were treating each other on set uh, and even holding the employer accountable Mm -hmm. for uh, how. Having safe work sites for yeah. us, right? And so that is a part of my job as um, a union representative. And so uh, the training portion of it um, came about, I would say, I don't know, four or five years ago, okay. uh, maybe even longer, I would say, like, I Six years ago, uh, addressing that, um, we needed to have some training around bullying and harassment in the workplace and we needed to have, uh, cultural diversity talked about. Um, we could call that anti-oppression training. And so it was a combination of creating training, uh, that would be for our local so that our members, um, could start to make a cultural shift. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So yeah, uh, Damien, if you could take us back to about this time when Natasha is training and and kind of, I feel like becoming the go-to person for this, it feels like to me, and and within IATSE at least. um, Sure.
1: Well, it's interesting because Natasha and I were just talking about this, that it's about four or five years ago, we had a discussion about the fact that there really is a culture shift that mm -hmm. needs to happen. At that time, we were talking about what needs to change. Right. And um, there were a whole bunch of things that had evolved, I think, over the years. We, our industry's been around for over 100 years. Of course, It has a very military structure in how, how it's set up. And there are cer- certain traditions and rituals which are becoming less and less relevant in, in the current society. We'd seen there were changes happening in some Canadian provinces that were addressing issues in workplaces. And so we started a discussion, I think it was in Halifax, and it may have been a bar and there may have been some single malt scotch (laughs) readily available. Mm. And other things in Halifax, they eat that uh, poutine quite a lot there. So we (laughs) we were enjoying our poutine and scotch. And Natasha revealed to me that she'd been developing some trainings. And the more I discussed this with her, the more I thought, well, this is very relevant to me. But I think, you know, there's a larger picture beyond our, even beyond our industry. Of course, yeah. That that, that this is as much about human rights and gender equality um, than anything else. So the more she talked about what it was, the more I was going... Well, we'd be interested in that training. Yeah, and um, you know, obviously Harvey Weinstein has sort of caused a tipping point, um, an opportunity where there's a spotlight on workplace issues, particularly um, sexual harassment. And uh, Natasha had last year delivered respectful workplaces to our members, and um, it made sense at that point that we open we open that training up to everybody, to the whole industry. So she's delivered three of these now. She's just, um, the reason she's in town today to speak to you is she's teaching two days of it this weekend. And uh, the people who take it kind of, their faces light up at some point and they go, oh, I get it. I get what this is. And in a lot of cases, people say, well, I've seen someone bullied or harassed in the workplace and done nothing, but I didn't realize that I could or that it was a thing or fully understand it. And they just felt it was part of the culture. And yeah. the more people you talk to, the more you see, wow, this is a big moment right now that's happening. So um, I'm thrilled that you're talking to Natasha and I today about this. And I think it's very relevant.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been talking about, um, we've kind of been touching on this subject for a long time. Um, and then, of course, with Harvey Weinstein, now it's just blown it up to such a, it's put such a great spotlight on it, unfortunately. But <laughs> um, so I just I wonder because um, to me, I, I think there's a lot of people that don't necessarily feel like a you know respectful workplace training that they would need something like that. And I think that that's not true. How would you address something like that where they like, I guess, the light bulb moment, Damien, like you said, like where people are, you know, have that realization that this is important and that they can do something.
3: Sure. I mean I, I think that um you know when we're talking specifically about uh the entertainment industry and uh talking about this pendulum shift that's been happening and it's not that it it hasn't been happening uh, already there's been kind of this slow burn course, that yeah. that's happened and it's really about um uh from the the union's perspective and and now we're having more conversations about partnering Uh, with the employer. But from the union's perspective, our members needed to know what um, the, the rules, roles and responsibilities were of the employer, the supervisor and the worker. And also in that, it's talking about Also what the union's role is in addressing workplace conflict, um, whether it be bullying and harassment, uh, safety, um, labor relations issues, right? And so what we were finding was that our members needed to even know that there was a collective agreement that had language, that there were human rights laws, that there was occupational health and safety uh, regulations and guidelines that were there to protect the worker and to hold the employer accountable to have... Uh, work sites that were safe for the for the employee, right? Yeah, and that talking about what the union's role it was and is in supporting and representing the members in making sure that the employer was following not only their own policies but the laws and regulations that are out there mm-hmm. f- for protecting the worker. And so the only way to do that is really through training. Yeah. And what we're talking about is sometimes just the basics of of teaching our members where it is to look, to maybe even understand that, sure, there's words on a paper, but how do we make those words 3D and dynamic so right. that we understand that uh, behind every law is a story, that human rights are our rights, and, and being able to understand that there are protections in place. And when we talk about sexual harassment, or bullying and harassment, sometimes it's the first time that people really understand the intent and impact behind um, what is happening when we mm-hmm. talk about uh, somebody who's being harassed, or why it's taken such a long time for somebody to feel comfortable and even coming forward to address what's happening yeah. in the workplace.
1: Well, to your question about some people don't think they should take the training, we were talking about that earlier. and um, this is still one of those things, like sort of like death, where people avoid discussing right. it. it. It's not a convenient discussion. It's not a thing they're comfortable with. So what I've seen, because we've been very proactive about encouraging, it started with our officers of our local, and, and um, but it's members from the floor, it's supervisors, it's stewards. What we're seeing is there is a group that's very uncomfortable with this discussion still. And and it's not an obvious thing. But what 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 is quite amazing in in the community is that we're seeing leaders from the different groups take the course and go yes this is a good thing, and they're taking it back to their people. So now we're getting to this next layer of people who are saying, uh, I really want to take this training. But but we we were initially I think we were really putting people outside of their comfort level. Right to get them to attend, but, uh, more and more people are having the discussion and, and it's really interesting to see the dynamic and, and the, the outcomes when people come out of the training, what they're saying and what, what they're motivated by. So, um, I hope it will continue. I mean, our goal is to keep offering this training. Yeah. We think we, we think it's really vital to, to the workplace and, and we see there are kind of uh, there's there's enlightened groups of people in the industry who are kind of getting it and moving it forward. It's affected all of our other trainings. So we, the Set Etiquette course, that's, oh, nice, yeah. uh, supported by many groups in the community, has a, at its um, foundation um, um, respectful workplace language and, and just kind of that culture shift. The old days of Set Etiquette, and you still see on social media, you know, nine ways to survive in our industry the approach of surviving the industry as opposed to thriving in right it, it has been a shift and the reason the set etiquette curriculum was changed and we now have a stage etiquette one as well is is to really encourage newcomers to the industry that there's a different there's a different way to approach it it's not all you can't always speak up on set but you still have rights and you still have a way to to make the situations better so um I think I I think we'll see where it goes from here, but I'm aware of other groups Canada wide and in the United States who are who are revisiting their trainings and what messaging they're sending. I and quite frankly, there's still set etiquette courses that I've seen. The curriculum is keep your mouth shut or wow. you'll be fired. No, really. Well, more so, it's on the uh, comments that you see in these social media posts about nine survival techniques for the industry. But um, the I've I've seen instructors who very much preach that message. We that they're no longer instructing in this community. Right, but um, (laughs) it it, it is a much more inclusive and open. And there's a direct correlation between, um, you know, having workplace equality and having respectful workplaces and one of one of the mandates in our organization is to have have a higher proportion of women represented in the workplace and the connection between these two things is huge
2: well yeah i would i would hope so for sure and it's amazing what language will do even even just when you start bringing people into the industry just the way that you frame up even the same concept if you approach it with a respectful kind of attitude in the first place i feel like that's a great way to kind of build that sort of grassroots level of new people coming in who just innately feel that it should be a respectful kind of place um and and we talked a little bit about how this could this obviously should transcend this industry um you know into everything else but what is what do you think it is about the film industry specifically that makes it such a current issue maybe it's just because we're living it but like you know it's a pressure cooker on set right and so i'm just wondering what is it is it different in the film industry or is it is it not and how would how would that be
3: yeah, I think that, you know, when we're, we're talking about uh, our workplace and we talk about individual factors, organizational factors and the organizational culture, when we start to mm-hmm. really kind of break down uh, and look at our industry. And so we talk about individual factors being, you know, um, uh, the way that people are interacting with each other, their uh, interpersonal skills or lack right. thereof, uh, communication, uh, their own kind of training, but how they are managing and dealing with conflict. And so that can be uh, uh, escalated um, in an adversarial way with uh, a communication uh, approach or uh, de-escalated depending on the cooperative approach that an individual is using. And then when we look at the organizational factors, you know, there's a long list that often we will um, look at that list and check off, uh, which is there's no kind of clear codes of conduct. People aren't aware of policy and procedure. Uh, there's a shortage of, um, resources, training deadlines, um, organizational shifts that are happening all the time and, uh, competitive work environment. And so if we list off eight or 10 things, that is our industry. Right. Right. Uh, and then when we talk about um, the organizational culture, well, it's always been like this. Um, we don't want to cause waves. Uh, this is actually the norm. Hmm. And and so that these are kind of the three things when we're looking at our industry and understanding that um, there are certain things that we can change as individuals, as a collective, uh, as, uh, unions and guilds. And these are the conversations that we actually get to have in these workshops because, um, even today, uh, there was leadership shop stewards and, um, and, Members all together in the same room from different unions and guilds having these conversations. And when we talk about uh, building the foundation of a respectful workplace, it really starts in speaking the same language. And when we're talking about equity and inclusion, when we're doing our own kind of cultural awareness and naming what's going on, understanding who we are in conflict, we all have absolutely, all have different conflict styles. Mm -hmm. You can have somebody who's in a leadership role, who is an avoider where you can also have somebody who's um, uh, a crew member who actually is somebody who is an accommodator or somebody who competes and is more directive, and so even understanding from the individuals in the room how they view conflict allows for us to kind of gain these tools to be able to then go back into the workplace, look at what it is that we've diagnosed, and go, okay, this is where I can make some of that shift. Mm-hmm. So even understanding that my way of being may actually create conflict is, um, something that more often than not in the class, people will start to say, I'm actually kind of guilty of some of this behavior. It's not as, as black and white as, um, uh, somebody being the victim and somebody else being the villain in this. Right. And so we really start to break down and, talk about, um, really what is it to have a respectful workplace and for folks to actually take ownership, not only of their own behaviors, um, and whether that's, um, kind of checking themselves, but also feeling empowered to maybe say to their colleague, like, Hey, this is something that we're not going to do anymore.
2: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that would be kind of the, the most important part, I think, cause, um, obviously we, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, I'm going to go to one of this, a workshop like this and I'm going to learn that I shouldn't be harassing people or I shouldn't be bullying. But um, really, it's the silence that's the biggest, I think, thing that we should be training people on, right, is, is speaking up and saying something. And um, even if it's, you know, we all have such a tendency to want to avoid any sort of unpleasant situation that uh, easier to not say anything, I think, in the short term.
3: I think so. And I I think that, you know, in some of, uh, you know, checking in with uh, people that are taking the class, and I ask, what are your expectations? What brought you here today? And people have uh, varied responses, including, well, it was mandatory, I was told to come, (laughs) right? Um, To, you know, I am uh, working in the industry, I'm new to the industry. Uh, I'm not the target, but I'm losing sleep because I see that other people are. Right. And uh, this whole kind of be more than a bystander, uh, knowing that as a witness, I actually do have uh, more power often mm-hmm. than maybe somebody who is in the the situation of maybe being targeted. Um, and we talk a lot about um, this issue from a psychosocial um health point of view, right? And that when we talk about it from occupational health and safety, that when we are talking about bullying and harassment in the workplace and discrimination, that it affects our psychosocial health, that it is a psychosocial hazard. And uh, I often use the analogy of if there was a chemical spill in the worksite site we have all been trained or have some kind of conditioning to know that if there's a gas leak or if there's this green liquid that um, is having a noxious fume, that there's X, Y, and Z that we need to do, which include me means clearing the the set, right? Bringing people in to clean up whatever the noxious fumes are and then to resume, but to tell people and communicate all the way along that this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. This is what we need to do. Same thing when we're talking about um, discrimination, bullying and harassment right. in the workplace is that it is a psychosocial hazard that affects us uh, in a way, mentally, physically, emotionally. And um, it is one of those things where if we uh, keep ignoring it, sweeping it under the rug, we're tripping on it and it can create isolation. Um, it can create anxiety, uh b- lower kind of uh, morale in the whole workplace. And so we talk about it from that perspective. And it's interesting that people know what the the effects of bullying and harassment. I have yet to meet anybody who can't tell... Uh, I mean, what the effects are of bullying and harassment mm-hmm. in the workplace. It's just simply making that connection when we talk about the occupational health and right. safety that, right. that, that we are then able to uh, create a dialogue around how do we change that? Mm-hmm. If it's a safety issue, that is a way in for us to have this conversation.
1: So, you know, our industry is different from other industries in the sense that for one, we're in the popular media all the time. So people are paying attention to our industry. But I think it's always been a gig-based economy right. for us. I mean, that's kind of a current catchphrase that people use. But, you know, for 100 years, we've been in a gig-based, gig-based You're economy. You're as good yeah. as your last show. You're trying to get your next one. So from from that angle, you break it down and you look and you see there. You know, I always go back to this comment this phrase that we all use, a fear of retribution. And uh, when you look at that, you see that that predisposes the person who's the victim as having a weakness. There is retribution. I've been to uh, seminars and roundtables, and I've learned retribution's a very real thing. Mm. And whether or not there's fear of it, it's a thing. So,
2: so what so, do you mean? Can you break that down a bit for us?
1: Well... Back in November, ACTRA hosted a roundtable for there were um, a number of industry stakeholders from a diverse group mm. of, of of our industry. And it, that group's now expanded to 25 groups. Wow. And um, in that in that room, when we got past the marketing and the PR of it all, <laughs> yeah. we had a very honest discussion. And people, casting agents and people who'd really been on the front lines spoke very clearly so that we all understood and heard it, that they have spoken up and there has been retribution. Right. So when I when I went away from that meeting, I started thinking about how do we approach this. And and when you say fear of retribution, that's a very employer-friendly term that yeah. previous, you know, the onus is on the individual to prove it. Well, in a lot of jurisdictions, the labor laws and the employment standards are changing. So that the onus is now on the employer. Right. Like we're giving this interview in Alberta where it's all recently totally changed. Yeah. So when you talk about employment standards. The onus would be on one individual to prove that a multinational corporation had, had treated them poorly and they would have to build their whole case. Right. So the laws and the culture have changed to a degree that now it's on the employer. To make to defend themselves rather than on the victim to build the case, so I think, I I think your question about why our industry is different um, is a good one because it's not just our industry. I think it's all over the yeah. place, and I think as Natasha pointed out, I think that um, there has been a movement. Like my comment about governments changing their laws to be a bit more supportive towards workers. I think that's evidence that our society's been reevaluating, mm-hmm. um, and this is this is about women and it's about equality, but it's about a whole bunch of other things. It's actually all about power, right. and that brings in issues of uh, safety and and all kinds of things, human rights. Um, but but the the flashpoint right now is sexual harassment. Yeah. But it's part of the whole... Of household. course, yeah, there's a much larger conversation, yeah. Across all sectors, I I think.
2: So what, what do you think um, is... Sh- why is it shifting now? Like, what is it about... What has changed in the world that we're having these conversations that we, ha- we didn't have, you know, 10, 12, 20 years ago?
3: Uh, I I mean, I think that touching on a little bit about where Damien was going with laws changing and um, that uh, creating that awareness. And so then training up in our industry, training up representatives and employers at the same time that laws are changing. And so let's let's address this, Um, regardless of whether we're project based or not. There are laws now in place that protect us as workers. And so so that that is is part of that. I think that when we talk about what is changing that's even on more of a global perspective yeah. about what you know and and where uh we need to kind of um start to view um have have a more of a global perspective and have um An intersectional lens in understanding uh, what is happening when we talk about, um, you know, and Damien's brought up, you know, women's issues or equity and inclusion, is that we are having those conversations on more of a a global perspective. Mm -hmm. I think that we're talking about what does feminism really look like um, for all of us, and men and women are having these conversations about that feminist perspective. Mm -hmm. And I would have to say that, you know, the reality and what is interesting about Uh, the training uh, that I do is that it actually is coming from an intersectional feminist perspective that is actually resonating for um, the the members um, and and the leadership that this is a way for us to have a conversation around equity and inclusion but no one's ever trained us to have those kind of conversations right and so I think that um, many of us have grown up that we don't have those conversations because you know what we're all the same let's not talk about that. But when we start to talk about and unpack and, uh, learn about the stereotypes, um, that we all have, um, that we all carry, that we've learned those from a a very, uh, early age. And then how do we then incorporate that if we're not supposed to be talking about it, but we're just supposed to be not doing certain things. And so to be able to, um, facilitate conversations with uh, the participants so that they start to understand their own cultural awareness, cultural identity, um, kind of where their limitations are. I never kind of know what somebody's limitations are uh, until they share what what those are with us, right? But when we talk about cultural identity, when we talk about the human rights piece and link that, when we talk about what's going on in the workplace, there are so many different perspectives that people are starting to understand that. Maybe it's my perspective isn't the only one. And so that we do it in a way that people aren't necessarily threatened, but that you do have a conversation with your peers. And so if there's 15 people in a classroom, there's probably 15 different life experiences that are coming in. But it's the first time that you get to sit with your peers for six or eight hours to actually unpack and have these conversations. I'm not only doing this within the film industry and facilitating these conversations, but really... um, when we are talking about having this conversation and the messaging on a global perspective, we still need to make it accessible to people and to understand that as workers, we may not have all gone to university mm-hmm. and studied. And for, for many of us, we're technicians. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We, we're workers. We yeah. are creative. But to be able to look at a workplace policy that's saying, don't, 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 It's really about, okay, well, what does that even mean? So that what is the, again, and I'm going to go back to intent and impact here, but understanding that uh, the uh, sexualized jokes or the gay jokes that I'm making that I think are funny on the set have an impact that really is hurtful and harmful to somebody else and that there are laws that actually protect people against that and understand that um, just because um i didn't mean it doesn't actually negate the fact mm-hmm. that it could have been discriminatory course, yeah. is some of the first time for people where they really understand that they have an impact on what it is that they're creating in the workplace mm-hmm. and again this happened today where people said I need to be mindful of of what I'm saying and doing in the workplace. I didn't come here thinking that I did, but I really need to. Hey
0: everybody, just wanted to uh, take a brief break uh, from this wonderful conversation uh, to talk about the Calgary Film Center. As you know, it is a world-class screen-based production facility, and it's suitably equipped and serviced so, uh, so that you can execute your next project with ease. 50,000 square feet of purpose-built sound stages, and 25,000 square feet of multi-purpose warehouse and workshop spaces, complemented by the anchor tenant, William F. White, Canada's oldest and largest provider of professional motion picture, television, digital media, and theatrical production equipment. And at the Calgary Film Center, the aim is to deliver production support for local, national, and international screen industry projects in a purpose-built venue designed to service individual client needs. As well, the Calgary Film Center delivers programs to engage and support innovation and excellence in the film and television industry. Uh, if you haven't signed up for their newsletter already, you must go check it out at uh, com. And now back to this great conversation.
2: What's so interesting to me about this industry is that you kind of have every, uh, people from all walks of life yeah. you know, in the totally. same room together for 14 hours a day, and they bond very quickly, and um, it's it's... I don't know another industry that's like that. And so easy to have like a, you know, like a construction site would have a culture of, you know, a certain demographic and, and those kind of jokes might be totally fine in that culture, but you've got people that, um, you've got gay people on set and you've got people of color on set and you've got women on set and you've got white males on set. And so I think it's really interesting to me that teaching people how to have that conversation is kind of where to start. Um, and I hadn't actually considered that before, but that totally makes sense because um, we, you know we it's like you said we see a lot of don't do this don't do that this is offensive this is offensive and then we start like I'm speaking as a white male of course we start to question what can we do right so I think yeah a conversation is the best place to to go yeah with right. and and
3: I think that that's even an interesting thing is like um you know in kind of flipping that and the, and yeah. the reframe of um you know I will often say to people so if you're feeling challenged with this yeah. quiz if you're feeling and and you know it it isn't even um just the white male that feels challenged, you right. know. I've, I've, I find that people who have had a kind of lax way of being will feel challenged mm. with some of uh, the gray areas that we explore. And it's really about okay, if there's an awareness around being challenged, that's for you to start to unpack a little bit yeah. more, right? And so uh, I, uh, there's one uh, quiz question that talks about the sexually explicit calendar that's up in the all-male construction lunchroom. And uh, one, it's about checking our assumptions that there aren't males in that workplace that wouldn't be offended by having an overly sexualized um, calendar in the workplace. But I asked this question, and I'll ask it of you, what happens in a male-dominated workplace if you were to say, I don't really feel comfortable with this uh, sexy babe calendar yeah, hanging would,
2: up? I don't think that would fly very well. Well, what, what would happen? Uh, I think you'd it'd be that retribution. I think you'd be the person kind of on the bottom for saying something like that.
3: Mm-hmm. And so right away you would be emasculated, Um, whether you were gay or not, it would be uh, considered a bad thing and that you were a fag, right? Um, That uh, when we talk about the bystander piece of it, uh, we also have to understand that for men to speak up, it's more often than not that you are then become the target of um, bullying and harassment. And violence. That's,
2: At, yeah. That's something about feminism, too, that I think we don't understand is that it's equally as important for men as it is for women.
3: Right. And so those are those kind of conversations yeah. that we start to to have in that classroom. And we do. We talk about, okay, so what are the stats when we talk about violence against women? Right. And uh, who, is, who is perpetrating the violence? And the answer is predominantly men. Yeah. And then I say, okay and so when uh who is p- perpetrating the violence against men right and the answer again is men yeah. and that is another way for us to start to talk about um uh the messaging that we have to start to to understand that we all have been under the same umbrella of kind of oppression and when we talk about patriarchy right. and we talk yeah. about these kind of things and so that that is a way in for us then to kind of when we talk about equity to be able to say okay so this is the messaging mm-hmm. that we are um are experiencing and when we talk about the me too movement yeah. And then there's the question about, okay, well, the men need to speak up. It's like, okay. But we also have to have the conversation about how do we speak up? Mm -hmm. How do we need that support? And to be able to uh, do the the bystander training so that we're creating an environment where our voices can be heard and not shut down.
1: Yeah. I I don't want to give away all the good bits of the (laughs) training, but I got to say one thing that I noticed. And. Natasha's very good about interacting with the people, taking the training, and they get to give their feedback. But one immediate result that I've seen is that third parties who've witnessed someone getting, I'll call it bullying. Sure. um, There is a moment where people have that, you can see their faces light up and go, wow, I've just learned actually, in many cases, the, the bully is actually a coward. Right. And all that's needed to nip this in the bud right off the bat is for if only I'd said something like I I don't know how I've never had that discussion. I don't understand this. I've adopted my culture of my industry. And so there's this thing about, you know, that someone who took the course today said a very truthful thing along those lines. And everyone nodded their head and went, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we're because we're walking away from this training with way more school, way more tools than we had coming in, we can actually start bringing some change now. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, I sound pretty hyped up about the training, but I actually see a huge value, and I'm always encouraging people um, come come on down, take yeah. the course. We're trying to make it as affordable as we can, and we'd like as many people to have this and the value. Um, you know, transcends you can apply these skills and this knowledge Certainly, to any course. social yeah. situation, dinner parties, other jobs, uh, awkward mother in law moments, whatever. Um, there's there's there, you're learning real skills that we all need that we never, as Natasha said earlier, we never had that conversation, or or you know, it's a maybe it's a guy thing that you never admit that you need to have that conversation, but I think. I think I'm seeing a breakthrough in that changes are happening. And I, it can't come quickly enough because yeah. I, think, I think everyone's frustrated. I think, you know, if anything good about Donald Trump and Harvey Weinstein is uh, those are polarizing things that yeah. have happened. Yeah. And they've caused people to have a sober second thought about something that we always knew. We needed to address. Right. There's a larger group of people actually addressing those things, and it's real. And you know, I'm a fan of the Women's March. I go to that. Mm-hmm. There's been two, but that's very powerful when you when you hear the speeches and you hear the stories of what people have gone through and what they've over what they're trying to overcome. It's a it it it, it is a it is a thing that our whole society is is really really. Having a second thought about?
3: I think so. And I think that, you know, kind of bringing back to that global perspective and and the conversations that we are all having uh, as individuals, I think, um, you know, someone brought up again today where for her, it's even going to be watching the news differently yeah. after the conversations that she had with her peers and, and being able to kind of have accessibility into these conversations around equity and inclusion, right? Which is really what we're talking about yeah, when course. we're talking about respectful workplace. Yeah. And um, I think that that is such an important piece of this. When we talk about empathy and understanding in listening in empowerment and finding our voices, you know, these are the things that we are talking about from a global perspective, Uh, having an awareness about um, what may be happening um, south of the border or um, uh, in another part of the world and drawing uh, an understanding about okay, well, this is actually happening in Canada mm-hmm. as well. And so how do we start to examine what's happening? And I know that we've talked about Harvey Weinstein and, and um, you know, bringing up Trump. But if we bring it back to Canada, you know, remember CBC and Gian Gameshi. Yeah. And remember with our um, Canadian actresses that we went through this actually before this broke um, with the Los Angeles piece of this puzzle. And that when we talk about um, uh, sexual harassment and an abuse of power and um, this kind of secret that was kept within a community um, and that uh, things were not addressed with the employer and that the union did not address, uh, when it was being brought forward and then watching when the women did come forward and how they were then victimized even more so in, um, in that trial is why would people even want to come forward when we talk about the culture of, um, of reporting and the culture of, uh, our industry that 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 is just one kind of uh, example in the limelight that was in our front yard this whole time and that we needed to start to talk and examine, you know, what was going on there. Right. And I think that uh, when we're talking about um, reporting and understanding the um, the sexual boundaries and how they're being crossed in our industry and not just in our industry, but let's talk about um, the entertainment industry is that it's really kind of this understanding about the complexity of something and I I bring up the fact that um, you know it's quick. sometimes it's quick for us to judge like well why did they go back the second time why did they take another meeting after what was happening but understanding that the lines are so blurry when we're talking about sexuality when we're talking about work in, in our entertainment industry is it isn't necessarily about victim shaming or blaming but more so about kind of suspending judgment and getting curious about again the complexity about the power dynamics yeah. uh, that are in play in our world in the entertainment industry where the stakes are so high. Absolutely, yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, there's still very much, um, you know, when I follow the media's reporting of some of these terrible things that have happened, some of the dialogue is still about, well, why didn't the victim quit their job and right. why didn't they? So, so you know, it, it is all about. How how we report it and how we view it. And I'm hopeful that, that we'll get to a place where people are a little more understanding mm-hmm. that, you know, asking the victim to give up their career might not be a supportive right. thing to be <laughs> yeah. reporting on, right? right?
3: Or the conversations around. um, I think that still there's a difference, um, you know, when it's an actor who's having um, these issues come into play and um, there's a sense of vulnerability that an actor has um, not a lot of power. Uh, right. within the industry and can be, um, let go, not hired, yeah. um, well, r- it's such a reputation out.
2: based industry and you're, mm-hmm. you're not really in charge of your own reputation. That's right. right?
3: And so the conversation still needs to happen around how do we support the most vulnerable in our right. industry. And so that expectation that whether that's through their agent and their union, um, that there's these conversations and supports in place so that, um, uh, folks are feeling more empowered mm-hmm. who are making their living as actors um, to trust that um, when they come forward that they are going to be supported and believed yeah. and I and I don't know if that's necessarily the same in uh, for, you know, the dynamics are the same when we're talking about uh, for technicians and uh, when we're talking about kind of gender inequities that can happen there and I still think that there's a certain amount of support and power but I, I I, I'm still curious about the conversations around the vulnerability of somebody who's in the role of an right. actor yep. and that happening, which I think is very relevant um, to, to be able to explore and happen. And, and more and more, there are ACTRA folks that are at the training sessions uh, in British Columbia. I will be doing some empowerment sessions with actors, with UBCP ACTRA, mm-hmm. and uh, doing a, a training with their representatives as well, so that we can really have this as accessible and Start the conversation so that so that they can keep that momentum uh, going right. around, uh, feeling empowered to yeah. come forward and be supported. And
1: that's certainly one of the positive aspects of this piece that you're doing here. Is um, there is a national? I sit on a national training committee. This committee has come together as a result of all, all of this highly publicized uh, misconduct, and it's very it's very refreshing to see us all talking. We don't get together, like as I mentioned now, there's 25 groups, right? We've never gotten together as 25 groups to talk about anything, much less this issue. So now I'm seeing nationwide, there's rollout of respectful workplace training. A lot of organizations are looking at the role of the third parties, the observers. They're looking at adding pieces, revamping their contract language. All of this um, it's so positive and it's so it's, it's like, it really does feel like a unified effort Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's the upside. I mean, we could keep talking about this and get very depressed, but, you know, the reason I think for this conversation is that we are achieving some things and the industry is really taking all of these issues seriously. And it's, it's, uh, it's strengthening,
3: well the right people are, are at the table. Right, that's just it. You know yeah. And so whether that's, um, you know I, I have an opportunity to have these conversations also with big studios and, yeah. and to um, talk about what does that look like for us to partner up and uh, to be able to do some of this uh, in a more meaningful way that really uh, is going to make our jobs easier in the long run if the, you know we're all speaking the same language. And so um, collaboration. I think is uh, a huge piece of this conversation in a positive way. Uh, And, and really being able to uh, take ownership. You talked about grassroots, you you brought up grassroots. This really is a grassroots movement. And uh, it kind of has to
2: come from the bottom and the top at the same time. It
3: really, and and so that's actually what, what we're talking about that we're seeing happen. And I think that it really did start from a grassroots level where, Uh, It wasn't that I wasn't already training up with the Directors Guild um, across Canada. It wasn't that um, IA didn't know what was going on and and that, you know, we were doing this, but it was just um, on a smaller level. And when Damien and I talk about being down in Los Angeles and um, being invited um, to be a part of a training um, that literally was training up, IA leadership internationally on talking about duty of fair representation in a respectful workplace um, was um, the first time that this training had happened at the level that it needed to happen, right. and so it is. We're we're watching this kind of surge happen. Yeah. That when we talk about. Conflict as an agent for positive change is really what we're talking about when we bring up um, the kind of high publicity issues that are going on. But these conversations have really been happening for years yeah. at a grassroots level, and so it's like that perfect storm now, where um, right people, right time, education is there, it's accessible, yeah. and people are saying, "Okay, let's do this." and Nobody's actually late to the party. Right. Right. Because it's one of those things where it's not about shaming. It's not about blaming. It's about, okay, this is where we're at. The pendulum has shifted from one extreme to the other and let's find the new normal. Right.
2: Yeah, it kind of it kind of puts light on the fact that Harvey Weinstein was not the worst or the first. It just kinda of happened at the time, at the right time. Um, that it blew up in the way that it did, I think. We all need that kind of catalyst, right, to get kind of push it to the next level and get those conversations going. Tell me about social media, warts and all. Um, is it helping?
1: I think, is it hindering I sometimes? Think social like, media is good and bad, obviously, but um, in terms of this discussion that we're having, I think we've cut to the chase quicker because yeah. you do find that people who are marginalized do get a voice on social media and the common thread, certainly, what we saw in the Me Too movement, yeah. we we saw we saw that a lot of women were immediately reporting the yeah. same scenario, and it was verification publicly for those men who were seeing that in real time that this isn't an isolated or marginalized thing. Yeah. This is everybody, and uh, so so the power of social media on that on what happened on Me Too was absolutely Mm -hmm. remarkable and you can see why social media can bring down governments yeah why it can change the world why it can accelerate a conversation that was 50 years overdue so in that regard I think it's good but um you know not to use the phrase fake news but there's an awful lot of misinformation going on and people are finding different ways to uh marginalize the discussion or justify things, so um you know it's good and bad it sort of polices itself, but what I'm seeing is that um people are people are starting to engage in this discussion overall. What would you say, natasha? what do you see um
3: i I appreciate that, that that it has made um these conversations more accessible. Yeah. I think that um there, uh, I mean, I'm quite mindful about what I'm posting on social yeah. media, about my presence on that. Uh, I learn a lot from social media. I learn a lot, you know, again, as a facilitator. Uh, but also as a human being. Like, I I need to do some of this work. When I'm talking about cultural awareness, I'm having to do this myself, right? And uh, I am an avid reader. I am somebody who wants to understand uh, the perspective from many levels. I have uh, actually a responsibility to be able to do that because I'm facilitating these conversations with people all of the time. And uh, it is interesting for me to be able to understand understand um, that there is and even listening to Damien talk about me too and and from your perspective of that it was inundated um, it the the social media inundated what it was that you needed to hear and see so that you could understand the impact of that right um, interesting from a woman's perspective and watching me too and thinking. Wow. Okay. Um, this is really brave for some people. Um, is this something that I want to hashtag me too? Um, is this something I want to be known for? Um, that uh, some of the the um, people who chose not to do Me Too uh, also need to be recognized, that right. that wasn't the forum for, for them to, to voice. Right. Um, but even for me to be able to think about that, to be able to kind of understand the importance of that movement, to understand and see the acknowledgement that Me Too um, was actually not started by a movie star, but by a black woman yeah. who talked about Um, the fact that there were survivors who needed to express this and that this, again, wasn't a new movement, but something that there was a resurgence. Uh, I'm learning all the time about the origins of activism. And so that's why I love social media Mm. and understanding, again, that there's a complexity to all of these conversations that we're having. And I don't know if it would be as accessible if we didn't have social media. You know, when we talk about why now, I think that social media has been the catalyst in us being able to even know that there are so many different perspectives and ways of looking at something, right?
2: Yeah. And I think, I think Damien, you hit it right, where it's just accelerating the conversation that otherwise would have taken, you know, 50 years. Like, look at this, you know, the suffragettes and, and Rosa Parks and all these big things that happened. Those were long long conversations, right? That were just one, you know, two people in a bar having a conversation. But mm-hmm. now, yeah, a Me Too movement can happen quickly mm-hmm. without needing, you know, a media, you know, a newspaper to buy into it or something like that.
1: I, I still, you know, one one thing that I would caution, though, on the social media, I still see a strong need for trusted sources. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I yeah. see, you know, and I we all have these friends on social media that we question, should we block this person or that um, that they'll publish stuff as though it's yeah oh no, yeah. I we've all got a few of those yeah. you know, yep. the gold standard, you know New York Times and there's certain standards <laughs> yeah. in Canada, I suppose there's a few. Yep. Um, Globe and Mail is sort of one some days. it's a it's a really good source. And um, I think the downside of the social media is is inaccurate messages get spread very quickly. Yeah. And I'm sure you know we were we were discussing you know in the in the papers now there are people suing their accusers, right? And, and so we don't know where the truth of some of this lies, but um, obviously the Me Too told us this is a huge yeah, it's, thing it's that a needs cons- yeah. addressing now. Yeah. But um, I think I think we're going to see some misinformation for a while continue that we as a society haven't decided. Um, other than those obvious ones, those bright lights like the New York Times right. and a few others, but um, there's really a lot of sort of inaccurate, misleading. Yeah. Some of it's joke stuff. I'm okay with jokes, and you know, I get a good laugh from the Beaverton. Sure, and, the Onion. And, so, yeah, um, but um, but I think I think there's a responsibility on us all to double check our sources and not. You know, report so and so has died, or right? You know, completely... they're filming.
2: They're filming Mission Impossible Eight in Calgary. You see right. those kind of things all the yeah,
1: time. Yeah, that right. I, that's actually. Yeah. I, my phone rings a lot. Yeah, I bet it does. <laughs> people believe those, and and I I always tell them, well, look, you see, it's for entertainment purposes. Yeah. It's not. It's like a joke. Uh, a website that's uh, sending stuff out, and uh, it, the fact that my phone rings every time a phony film is, coming yeah. to town, Star Wars, or whatever it is, um, tells me that people aren't really um, looking past the headline. Yeah. Some people read everything. Sure. And some are just looking at headlines and forming opinions. So uh, in some ways, I suppose if people on either side of those polls block each other, there's two different worlds. Well, that's two just it, views, right? And right? That's, that's
2: always been my concern with social media is that it can be such an echo chamber if you're not careful about how you're sort like who you're following and, and how you're sourcing your own news. Because if you follow the same like-minded people, then you're not opening yourself up to seeing a me too movement or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. It's a tricky one.
1: Yeah. I think, um, you know, I was watching CBC broke a number of stories in November and October. Um, I, th- I think they were, that was really good in that it started a national discussion here in Canada. I mean, I, I know it's happening in the States as well. But um, people really started reading the stories to the end on yeah. some of these. I felt like, yeah, and and so um, I I hope I hope this trend continues, and I hope that a year from now we can say we we've seen much more change, and that it will con- continue. It's not just a flash in the pan.
2: Yeah, of course.
3: I don't think that it that it will be a flash in the pan. I f- I think that people are really wanting to um, make that change. And, um, I, I kind of think, um, also with the, um, uh, generation that is newer to the workforce is uh, they've found their voice yeah. and they're going to be holding folks accountable yeah. to things too and um, and I'm really kind of excited about um, as, as somebody in labor um, kind of empowering those young worker voices yeah. to Absolutely. find um, their way within our industry to be able to be a part of um, maintaining and and making this shift sustainable.
1: I certainly see the young people, the 20 somethings showing up to Natasha's course with their eyes wide open, taking notes and going, Oh, I'm so glad that our industry is going in this direction. So, and I think those are, those will five years from now be the leaders who are spreading the, you know, this is how it should be. And this is (laughs) what it is.
2: The uh, the cynical part of me always always goes well. As soon as there's a financial will to make something like this happen, is when is when kind of the last sort of, you know, piece of the puzzle kind of falls into place, and and we actually see some real movement. And I think that's just it: is the generation coming up is also the audience now, and, right? And that's why we're seeing we're starting to see at least a little bit of variety in, uh, you know, women directors happening and, and female stories coming out that are actually gaining traction from a financial, you know, they're selling tickets at the box office. Um, because the generation that's starting to have disposable income is the ones that are going to these movies. So as the Quite entertainment right. industry, um, you know, the shift is just naturally happening anyway. And I think that, um, yeah, we need to get ahead of it, obviously, and be promoting that on the inside. Yeah, but. I think
1: so. I think we're seeing that in our community, that there there are more women getting more opportunities. You know, in my organization, we've got 34% women. We're pushing that envelope every day. I think it will increase. It, there's still there's still a gap. There are certain crafts that are very gendered yeah, one way or yeah. the other. But um, um, we're seeing we're seeing some real progress on that front. It's still taking some time, but um, it it's it's improving steadily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: I, I would say that um, that that is uh, something that needs to have an extra push. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure w- what that's going to look like um, for but, gender parity kind of thing. Or what you uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I th- agree, yeah, I think that I think that again the mechanisms are in place. I think that there's studies. Most recently, there was a Media Plus I think study that just came out um, two days ago uh, that you might be interested in, and they've talked about stats and and looking at um, uh, equity. And inclusion, uh, behind the, the camera. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm not quite sure what that shift actually is yet. I think that, I think that we're on the precipice of that. I think that it's a, a conversation that we are having that the funders have talked about it, but there needs to be some more, um, real data and by data, I mean, action by that i mean the real um, that when we say there's more women directors or there's more women doing these things i'm not necessarily seeing that in the in the really kind of meaningful way right. that we need to see it and i think that there just needs to be that one extra shove in the right direction that actually makes that happen
2: what kind of what do you think that could look like maybe
3: I think it's about creating the space. And I think that sometimes there's people at the table that actually need to create the space and move over and say, this is what I am going to do. And that means that I'm not going to take all the directing gigs for this episode, but where (laughs) are, where are the women um, to do it? And so that I'm only going to work for an employer that has that that gender parity that's there. That's a big thing because that's talking about power and privilege. That's talking about to make that happen, people need to move over Mm -hmm. and create that space. And that's the same, you know, when we're talking about a panel and looking at a panel and will I speak on a panel that, that, that I would be the only woman on. No, I think that there needs to be more than, than, than one woman on that panel in the same way that I feel like for men who are being asked to speak, um, in conferences and on panel is to ask and see how many women are also speakers there. And did you source out women to do that? And, um, I think that it's being purposeful in when we talk about, um, uh, gender, uh, equity and, and parity. We saw that in, um, the government in that it was purposeful in, uh, it wasn't hard to find uh, right. 50% women to uh, be leaders in the government. It was purposeful in yeah. putting in um that equation. And that's what I'm talking about when we're talking about that that's the shove, is to really actually have people who are in uh, places of power do that. Yeah. And it feels great.
1: But I think that the training is creating space. I think that systems or, or customs or the culture that was preventing that space is starting to move. And, and yeah, it's probably way too slow and there needs more. Yeah. There are other things, other factors. And, you know, somebody made the comment to fix the, to fix the sexual harassment problem, just hire more women. But you know, there are all these vacancies right now, and it's not.
3: I think that that's a, the simplistic one. It, it
1: is simplistic. Yeah. But, but the point I'm making is that there are people in, there are people in senior brass of studios and other powerful people who are now faced with that they have fired someone, and they're going to hire their next one. Now. Yeah. So why did they fire? Like, and it is simplistic, and there has to be all the support that brings people to these opportunities. Mm-hmm. But I, I, th- I think I'm seeing a lot of pieces changing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know we get requests for projects that are lo- looking specifically for women to work on that. Yeah. So there is an awareness and an effort coming up again. It's kind of a grassroots thing. Uh, I haven't heard all of the, from all of the players, but yeah. um, I do see that people are really thinking about this and,
2: yeah, I mean, you see it even in telefilm. You know, looking for gender parity by twenty twenty, um, but I, but I'm, I think, yeah, I think you're right. It needs to be stronger than, than that. You know, I can't wait for a day when we're not really thinking about gender parity anymore. It's just, it's just an assumption. Yeah,
3: yeah. Right? and that purposefulness, I think, is, is, is something that. Um, when somebody does it the first time and then you do it the second time, and then you just really kind of see that it, it really is something of kind of using your power and privilege to, to do some of that. um, It becomes easier and easier to do it. Totally. I think Wonder Woman
2: was such a, was such a, you know, a huge deal last year because it was kind of one of the first big examples of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the next, not the next Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman, but the next time a, a female director is in, you know, a seat with that big of a budget, it won't be as big of a deal.
3: Right. Or it's, it's, it's maintaining it. It's, yeah, it's exactly. the sustainability. Yeah. So how do you do that? And, and so I see that with, um, uh, Ava DeVernay is doing that with some of her, um, uh, producing that she's doing, uh, an American, African-American black, um, um, producer slash director. Right. And mm-hmm. so in some of her stuff that she's producing, like Queen Sugar, it's all female directors. Right. Right, and um, it's the purposefulness of that yeah. that then is creating um, uh, the the expertise that these women will then gain from working on this television show, and so it could be a man or a woman in our industry uh, here in Canada to also be doing that purposefully right. to yeah. be able to create some of that momentum. And sometimes it's just I needed that experience, and right. I was able to get those. Three three episodes. So now I've got the real that I need to then go and do what it is that I need to do. And so I think that um some of us just need to feel more empowered to to create that. Yeah, but
2: you're right, it does, it does need to come from people in power positions mm-hmm. too, right? You can't just be grassroots. Mm-hmm. You, you need that next Star Wars to be directed by a woman.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 A woman of color. A woman of color. Yeah. There, go. there we
2: go. Yeah. Uh holy smokes. Well it's been over an hour. So I think we should probably Okay. But uh, thank you guys so much for for coming. Um, before before we finish, um, let's say I'm, I'm I'm turning off the episode now. What what kind of things can I go away and just consider or do or like we're, we're um, I'm on the board of the CSAF and we're talking about having a um, a respectful workplace document that that we provide to anybody who rents gear through the CSAF and just sign it, you know, disperse it to your crew. Make sure that everyone reads it and understands it. What other kind of stuff can we be doing to kind of push this?
1: Well. As I mentioned earlier there are there are a number of working groups nationally, mm-hmm. and one of the groups is looking at best practices and protocols so there there are many minds focusing yeah. on this very thing as well as what training is available um there are uh people looking at how their contracts are worded and right. what does it what what does a non-disclosure agreement really guarantee, or how effective right. is that, oh, or what is the? Yeah. So all of these questions are being asked by at least twenty-five national groups, uh, um, and I think that in the months ahead this year, we're they're going to be rolling out to everybody, so that we can all be on similar page as to what our goals are, what 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 the policies ought to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, on the I'm a, on the training one. Um, what are the best courses? How do we make yeah. them affordable for everyone? Right. Maybe we go into high schools. Maybe the interesting thing happening there is the colleges and universities wanted to join that group because right. they said, we've got problems, the same problems. Right, of course, and yeah. Everybody's got them and we've got them big time. So they're in on it. So, right. so I think... I think there'll be a period of about six months where we're kind of waiting for everyone to report back all of the things like, uh, the committee I'm on is doing a national database of all the trainings and then it reports on what the most effective ones are best practices group, those guys, um, that gang will report all of their stuff. So I, you know, I, I, I would wait and see. I think in the next sure. six months there's going to be a plethora of information right. coming back.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, I still am at the part, when we're talking about grassroots, that yeah. knowledge is power. Okay, And um, being able to empower workers to know what their rights, roles, and responsibility right. are, um, and to know that the employer... Um, is held responsible for having a safe work environment and, Mm -hmm. and, um, that those are kind of those key items that will allow workers, um, to know how to take the next steps. Um, and so it is really about training and education and that knowledge is power. The more that we know, the more that we can do. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I just, um, I just produced a feature last year and, um, I hadn't really thought too much about creating a respectful workplace. And I think thinking back on it, my attitude was apart from, from, you know, knowing everybody that I brought on board and trusting them, just kind of hoping that nothing bad happened. But what, like, what, what should I have done? Do you think differently? Nothing happened on set that I know of anyway, but um, I think maybe a document would have been probably a better approach and just making, making sure that everyone knew that they had someone to come talk to if
3: yeah, I mean, I think knowing how to report something, yeah. to know that um, that there is kind of a, a code of conduct and policy in place yeah. around how we treat one another, and um, and I think that that's important. And it does actually come from the top, yeah, and, sure it does. And and so that you know, you as somebody who is creating. Um, a work environment and producing um a, a film is you know people are looking to you, yeah, and so if you are having those safety meetings and and um you 're having your production meetings and you 're talking about this is what a respectful workplace looks like, and it um is about being fair and yeah. talking to each other mindfully and you know like however way it 's framed that your folks take that and run with it Mm -hmm. and, uh, we'll do that. Uh, we have members who, um, you know, you brought up the construction site. Well, it's the construction workers who are resetting the tone by having their toolbox meetings and talking about, this is what Respectful Workplace looks like. It's those folks that are resetting the tone because, um, the effects of not doing that, um, it's too much for them. And so they've found a way in which to talk about it, to have those things posted, um, to talk about um, uh, these issues that come up and to put the supports in place. And those are uh, the people that are doing that work, right? And and really, um, if you give people the tools to do good, yeah. they will do it. Right.
2: Well, and it's an ounce of prevention too, right? Is making sure that you set the tone before anything happens, mm-hmm. create that environment where people feel safe um, and then
3: address it when it does and happen. And Address
2: it when it does happen. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. But you would also hope that by setting out those standards, hey, mm-hmm. this is a respectful workplace. We don't tolerate that kind of stuff. Right. That you'd be avoiding it, hopefully, right. altogether.
1: And it's like you can feel the tone and the workflow of a set when you come onto it. And we have one show that's shooting in town currently that there's a really, really good safety right. relationship and discussions. And if it's too cold. They they they're very proactive about moving people indoors and salvaging their day and doing all that comes with minus thirty three, but to see that those discussions happening at the beginning of the workday, and the crew they feel supported and they work that much harder and they put more More they're more productive and they're more creative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so and I've heard good things about your stuff. So I I'm hoping that your culture is good and that people are supportive and proactive and.
2: Yeah, I, th- I mean I think it is, but at the same time it's about being um it's about approaching it with intent. Mm-hmm. Right, and actually taking actionable steps to ensure that it's happening, not just not just leading by example and being respectful, but also um yeah, like just taking an active hand in it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think so. Something we could be doing.
3: Yeah, there. I think a respectful crew is a productive crew.
2: Right. And not an accident either. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so, uh, how can, I guess, Damien, we, we know how to follow you. We we talk about IATSE every week, but, um, how can we follow this along specifically with Ayatsi? Just kind of pay attention on social or?
1: Um, yes, definitely. You know, I, I continue to encourage, uh, community members to take the training. We try to make it as affordable as, as we can for yeah. people. And, and um, it, it does include a well-catered lunch as well. Yeah, but um, there's that there, there, we will be through our social feeds. We will be reporting that in terms of um, our priority, this is a, this is a high priority yeah. and we, we tend to follow and report on cool. progress. And, and as I mentioned, we're expecting those national committees yeah. to report back and uh, we'll make sure that uh, the is aware and, and we always support you guys always take uh Um, an interest in what's going on and what the offerings are and the changes. So I'm sure you'll probably be reporting on it.
2: Yeah. Well, I hope so. Uh, So Natasha, how can people, follow you or, or find, you know, keep up with what you're up to. And-
3: uh, sure. Yeah. So I am on Twitter. Okay. So, um, it is my name, Natasha Tony. And so also on Facebook. Okay. Um, so I think that, um, those are the two kind of professional, uh, ways in which, um, folks can yeah. follow and kind great. of see, uh, what's coming up next. And, um, people are really great about, um, their social media and saying when I'm coming to town or great. if I'm coming to yeah. do a talk and those kind of things. So, um, I think it's Manitoba and St. John's is my my next stop. You
2: got a long trip. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I do. Well, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for taking time out of your Saturday night to come sit down and chat.
1: This is awesome. Thanks a lot. Yeah, my
3: pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right, wow. Yeah, Yeah. what a great conversation. And and again, so glad that that, um, we could you know jump into that topic yeah um with the podcast and it's so important and and especially you know for me it's all about utility with all of these conversations right whether they're you know about editing or, or whatever like give me something i can use and really got some some tools in the toolbox to to actually you know broach those kinds of conversations yeah that absolutely need to start being had
2: yeah well that's just said. i mean we talked about you know how to you know how to have these conversations which is kind of the first uh barrier i think into, totally into moving totally because
0: yeah i mean it's uh, yeah i think we've all probably been on set and seen something or heard something it was like i, I don't know like yeah I, I know that that's not right but i
2: don't really know how to behave Even, about so, that yeah, so yeah, yeah. now now we do um okay let's get into the news you can use uh sponsored every week by bleeding art industries and this hot tip of the week is about the wild card the unexpected situation or element that demands a solution the day of the shoot spur of the moment problem solving on set becomes easier with experience but preparing for it by being well equipped alert and observant will give you a head start cool and confident handling of the unexpected is the goal be ready to improvise a solution with a positive take charge attitude and your reputation for being professional and prepared will grow on set that's totally true i mean that's what being on set is i love this tip yeah i i think I, i yeah i read
0: it while i was away and it's so fantastic because uh not only because it names the thing that is inevitably coming your way uh, on set, the, the wild card. I love also that it's optimistic enough that there will only be one wild card. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say it'll yeah. be
2: the one wild card. There's usually only one at a time. <laughs> it's, though, true. Yeah. it's true. It's yeah. <laughs> true. But yeah, I mean, creative problem solving is basically what being on set is. For sure. For right? sure. So, yeah. And what a great tip.
0: tip. You got to be prepared for sure.
2: Um, So you can see all the Bleeding Art Industries hot tips at www.bleedingartindustries.com.
0: All right. So, uh, in Edmonton, the artist project grant, uh, is, uh, coming up. Um, and, uh, the purpose of the, of the grant here is to, uh, invest in the specific projects of individual artists and art collectives as they pursue, uh, artistic and professional advancement. So you can apply for grants of up to $5,000 twice a year, uh, on, deadlines are February 15th. So that one's coming right up, uh, and also September 15th. Um, and the, who's putting this on? It's the Edmonton Arts Council. Yeah, looks yeah that's like. right. That's cool. Um, and, and there are larger grants available as well, between $5,001 and $25,000 once a year with a deadline June 15th. How jealous am I uh, yeah. of these Edmonton yeah. creators that get to access? This? this is fantastic. Yeah, it is cool. Um, so yeah, check it out. Uh, sh- uh, more information in the show yeah. notes, but grants.edmontonarts.ca is also where you can find out more information.
2: Uh, the AFA has a scholarship uh, of up to $5,000 uh, that they're going to be awarding to a young Alberta film and video artist who shows extraordinary talent in film and video arts uh, in a film and video arts form and who demonstrates clear educational or training goals. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're kind of getting started and you have something that you want to, you know, of course you want to take or uh, post-secondary, something like that, um, definitely apply. You can get up to $5,000 to pay for tuition. The application deadline is coming up quick, March first. Um, so have a look sooner than later. Uh, the full uh, details are in the show notes. That's a cool one. Yeah. Uh,
0: call for onset volunteers for a CSIF member shoot. I love this. We don't we don't see enough of this. This yeah. is great. Shoot happening. Uh, it's going to be an interview with a First Nations elder by a museum curator. Oh, at cool. At the Glenbow Museum on the eighth floor. Um. So this production is in need of uh, an assistant uh, to do kind of research. It looks like script supervisor, first AD, producer, DP, editor, uh, sound and music person, gaffer, key grip, artist, uh, capable of doing professional level motion graphics and animation. So lots of help needed on this. Um. And you know, it's an opportunity if you're a CSIF member to get some CSIF volunteer hours yeah, in as well. Um. And
2: uh, so you, yeah, you can check out. Uh, the i guess the csif mailing list for more information i think so yeah um or, or check out the show notes because uh rosalind Whaley. i'm sure i pronounced your name wrong rosalind wally um looks like she's kind of putting a team together so yeah, if you yeah. know if you're looking to get involved in a project that um, kind of just kicking off it's a great way to get uh, a pretty sweet role on a on a film set totally um yeah, I don't know if we should say exactly what her email address is. Maybe but, not, but, but you, uh, you can
0: yeah. you can find it. I assume in the in the yeah, there's a link in the show notes to uh, to the actual to the the newsletter. If you don't subscribe, you can right. yeah, you can get right to it there. Right um, uh,
2: okay, so Damien talked about this at the start of the episode, uh, but the uh, the Calgary Film Oscar Party and fundraiser uh, is coming up. It's called The Red Carpet Affair, celebrating Hollywood's best. It's happening at the Palace Theater on Sunday, March 4th at 6 p.m. Uh, it's the annual Oscar party that uh, Calgary Film hosts. Um, they will be celebrating Hollywood's best while raising funds to support the Calgary International Film Festival. Get glammed up to walk the red carpet as Calgary's film industry and movie fans come together to celebrate the most successful films of the year, many of which had their Calgary premiere at the 18th Calgary International Film Festival. Ah, that's yeah, right. Very cool. Um, tickets are 85 bucks, general seating, and proceeds go to help raise funds for the SIF. For uh, if you're interested in creating a custom experience for a group of 10 or more, Uh, They have private boxes or reserved seatings. Um, You can find out more at calgaryfilm.com. Awesome. So if you're a Super 8 fan uh, or just a fan
0: of celluloid in general, uh, the Artifact Small Format Film Festival is coming right up here. Uh, it's happening March 8th to 10th at Theater Junction. And um, this is what was formerly known as the $100 Film Festival. Um, and it's kind of a, not just a new name, but also kind of a new feel, new location. Um, it's definitely a, a, a kind of a refresh for uh, for the festival. Um, but, you know, still certainly hangs on to those, those roots of celluloid film filmmaking, uh including uh the visiting artist John Porter, who is kind of known as the King of Super Eight. He's got some really from from what I've heard, he's got some very cool, interesting projects right. um, that uh I'm excited to see. So uh be sure to check that out. Um uh and you can check out artifactfilmfestival.com
2: for more information. Story Summit uh is coming up. The full schedule has been announced, I guess is the news because we talk about Story Summit at the start of every episode. Yeah. Um, But the full schedule is finally out uh, so you can kind of find out what that whole weekend looks like um, and when you might want to uh, catch the programs. There's usually two things going on um, at the same time for the most part. Yeah, some workshops. Yeah, some workshops and stuff. So, uh there's some there's some like the, the camera operator or shape of water is going to be there yeah that's cool um i think there's a lot of vfx uh supervisors going to be there too so oh, it's gonna sweet be, yeah really interesting uh, conversations <clears throat> check it out at storiesummit.ca slash program dash 2018 very interesting uh
0: right now uh calgary shot film stillborn is available on itunes amazon google play voodoo and microsoft xbox uh you can you can watch this film right now probably on the device you're listening to yeah, this on yeah certainly <laughs> so uh so check it out um you you know we'll share with you the individual links because it's super cool that uh, uh you know a cool low budget film shot here in Alberta is available um in all on all of these you know major platforms very cool it is super cool and it came out in
2: theaters this last weekend too right right entanglement. and some great yeah. Reviews, yeah, and, some some yeah, and, reviews yeah yeah i was so it's proud it was a good week for alberta it was a good sure. week yeah, absolutely so um Part of supporting the industry is is watching the movies that get made Mm -hmm, here, so mm -hmm. um, definitely uh, download it, uh, pay for it. For sure. And watch it. Absolutely. And then let us know what you think. Yeah, sure. Unless you worked on it, then... uh, (laughs) You're biased. Yeah, you're biased. (laughs) We're sure that you think it's awesome. (laughs) Uh, Fava is hosting their video kitchen screening uh, coming right up here on February 25th at 4.30 p.m. at the Metro Cinema, admission by donation, uh, and you will be able to check out the new works from the Introductory Digital Film Course. So this is kind of how the, the video kitchen course wraps up. Uh, they do a screening at the Metro cinema. Uh, so go check it out and see what uh, the, the new and emerging filmmakers are working on. Cool.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, Edmonton-based documentary filmmaker Brandy Yanchuk, uh, who has done some awesome work and has been kind of a, a staple in the documentary community in Edmonton for a long time, uh, has a six-part travel series, uh, called Seeing Canada, and it's currently airing in the United States on several PBS stations. Um, the series was, was originally made for CPAC TV, and, uh, Brandy, uh, is, a, is an Ampia member, and, uh, will, uh, you can also see her series Dino Trails, uh on story hive uh tell a story hive and it was also on air canada's in-flight entertainment systems oh it is going to be on I- canada's in-flight entertainment systems from april
2: 1 to june 30th oh, so yeah. yeah that's very cool um congratulations to brandy that's great yeah that's awesome uh if you're brand new to the film industry and you've never been on a set before welcome thanks for listening <laughs> um and uh there's something coming up for you uh there's kind of this this workshop that you that you sort of have to take before you'll uh, certainly be allowed on any union sets uh, as well as most indie sets and the workshop is called set etiquette and protocol and it basically just breaks down uh, what your first day on a set is going to look like um some some you know basic things that you might not necessarily know if you haven't been on a set before um kind of ways to conduct yourself and uh do's and don'ts um you know the cardinal rules of the film industry and all that kind of stuff um so definitely recommend taking it if you want to get onto a set uh, and start. Uh, digging into what this industry is all about. So again, it's called Set Etiquette and Protocol. It's being hosted by the Technical Union in Calgary. Uh, and it is happening on February 21st at 6 p.m. Uh, the trainer is Gail Kennedy, who's uh, one of uh, the, the certainly most recognized and best filmmakers in Alberta. Totally. Yeah. Um, it's happening at IATSE Local 212, which is uh, 208 57th Ave Southwest. It's only 40 bucks to attend. Um, so check out the link in the show notes or visit um, IATSE, which is I-A-T-S-E, 212.com uh, and see if you can find out where the Set Etiquette and Protocol Workshop is.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, a very cool workshop happening that doesn't come around very often. Uh, the uh, Alberta Post-Production Association, uh, Ampia, Herland, all kind of coming together to put on this post-production budgeting workshop uh being uh, instructed hosted uh, by deb osborne who uh if you don't know deb has you know she's a veteran of of not just the alberta film industry but toronto and she's done a ton of really cool stuff in the post-production world Absolutely. and can't imagine anyone better uh to learn from so um the workshop is thirty dollars uh, for uh sorry it's thirty dollars for if you're not a yeah. member, of, not a member yeah, of any of, of these appa yeah. ampia or Herland, yeah. um but, but and even if you're a student it's actually free so uh thirty dollars if you're not and um workshop funding has been provided by the generous support of APA members ampia Herland, and the government of alberta so that's very cool you can check out uh the the link in the show notes for the event bright link and uh get your ticket there
2: i am going to this. i saw that I you're going wait yeah that's very cool um and I, yeah, I, I wish that uh, that I was able to take a course like this um, before we shot Plainview. Post <laughs> yeah. production budgeting yeah. is such a nebulous, S- totally, totally, thing. And, and and such an afterthought,
0: unfortunately, just yeah. because of the way production is. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. This is very, very, very powerful thing to do. I, I, I'm I haven't checked my schedule yet, but I'm hoping I can go as well. Yeah. Uh, February
2: 24th is the date, which I failed to mention. Uh, if you've taken the video kitchen course uh, up in Edmonton with Fava, then uh, you have enough training to take their main course. Uh, course right course, this is course. so cool and the fava does this yeah so um it's their intermediate production class uh yeah it's so cool you kind of get your hands on everything um you'll take it you'll take a short film under 10 minutes from pre-production all the way through to completion um and basically you make the film outside of class time and then while you're uh taking the course itself uh it's over 12 weeks of instruction um it's only four hours on saturdays it's like it's Making the film, obviously, is the most time, but you'll have someone that you can talk to that will help guide you through the process. Um, So, yeah, you can check out uh, fava.ca for more information. Uh, It's $945 plus GST, uh, and it's starting on February 24th, so uh, register as soon as you can. Awesome. We've talked about um,
0: Media Lab YYC a couple of times uh, on the show. um, And now they've got this workshop being taught by Scott Lutley. Uh, It's called uh, Lighting Workshop. Understand how to make your video or film look great. So... um, I don't know if this is their first one, but but uh, it's kind of the first time it's been on our radar, and we're hoping to share more uh, as well. So definitely check out um, MediaLabYYC.com. If you don't know, it's kind of like a, a you know digital media home base for, for filmmakers and creators and YouTubers and um, people who just want to make content. So uh, you can check out this workshop on February 24th uh, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., uh, and it's $20.
2: Uh, And then the next day, on Sunday, February 25th, from 10 to 5, uh, the Calgary Society of Independent Filmmakers is hosting their shooting with the Scarlet workshop. So the Red Scarlet is uh, the camera, uh, kind of the big cinema camera that the CSIF has uh, that you can rent. But you cannot rent it unless you have taken this particular course. Uh, And it comes out about once a quarter, I think they do it, maybe even once every six months. Yeah. So um, if you're thinking about renting that camera, or if you just want to learn how to use the Scarlet, uh, it's taught by uh, none other than Aaron Bernakovich, who probably knows this camera better than anyone else in Calgary. Um, again it's happening Sunday February 25th Uh, it's $120 for members or students and $160 for non-members you can register at csif.org so you were talking about FAVA's main course class recently yes Uh,
0: if you if you haven't taken the uh, video kitchen course uh you're gonna have to take that first as you mentioned right. uh and you're gonna be able to on march uh starting uh, on march 1st it's a 12-week course um much like the uh the main course but uh, a little more basic a little more starter uh, and you make a four to six minute short film you can make whatever you want uh, something dramatic documentary experimental whatever you want to do fab is going to help guide you through the process of that so it costs 845 dollars which ain't too bad considering you get a four to six minute completed film out of the process. So be sure to check out uh, fava.ca
2: for more information on that. So you weren't here last week, but I, I, I was reading through these with Briar and I was like, I'm just going to move this Video Kitchen one up to a, the main course that right. I can say them about at the same time. She's like, you know, I put them chronologically. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so I don't know if you've ever caught that. I had that. no idea. No. So yeah, there's a reason, uh, the order that we, <laughs> that we yes. kind of dish these out. Um, Briar has we, a system. Got, we, we've, been, we've been fucking with it. You know, we've been moving stuff yeah, around yeah, without yeah. Her knowing as we record. And right, she's right. like, don't, It's yeah, there's a reason yeah, that yeah. these things yeah. are like
0: so what it, it, the the soonest workshops the the most uh, the first thing, nearest yeah, workshops exactly. are, are first right yeah and gotcha. as work that's great along. that makes total sense totally yeah
2: absolutely uh, okay what's shooting in town
0: uh, we've got a uh, feature film called True Fiction happening uh, in Calgary they're in production right now right in the middle of it
2: don't Herb season three is now in production they've actually just announced that uh, Megan follows is is cast in it cool um, that's amazing yeah so yeah they're starting to get some pretty awesome cast uh i think that was that was huge news in yeah the, that in is the a big community. yeah, yeah. well i didn't know that yeah, until so, right now that's yeah. amazing so she's kind of um she's cast as the mom uh huh. in season three so right right uh and of green gables right yeah that's right uh and of course Ten star season two is uh now rolling so yeah lots of lots of production kind of moving now as as yes the weather gets terrible uh, perfect timing <laughs> yeah, of course yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, if you are looking for some work in the film production industry, uh, the there is a uh, post production editor uh, position available up on MediaJobSearchCanada.com. Uh, it's a casual position with Pyramid Productions, and um, you know they do some amazing work. Uh, won't go too deep into it, but um, I think you get the picture. You you know working as a casual editor could be the perfect opportunity for someone who is you know maybe focusing on a, a filmmaking career, getting their own projects off the ground, but also you know working for Pyramid pyramid uh occasionally or casually uh to help pay the bills um sounds like a cool strategy to me uh you're going to want to apply for this job by february 16th so that's coming right up
2: sweet i like pyramid productions if you if you haven't been there yeah i'm so jealous of their it's an amazing facility building. they've like, got it all yeah yeah it's like all of this one-stop shop they've like yeah. got their own studio space they've got their own editing bays their color grading suite like it's it's unbelievable it's amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really really amazing something that uh I will have some, yes. not, maybe not that one, but uh, a <laughs> version of that, probably yes. a crappier version of that. One. Uh, okay, so what do you recommend for this week? Ben?
0: What do I recommend? Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I, I was, I mean, the, the whole Cloverfield world is is unbelievable to me. I, I, I'm always, you know, shocked and impressed with what they're doing. I mean, With with what JJ has done as far as like like he's created you know like Slusho and there's like there's all this web content and uh, there's only three movies uh, but uh, there was a surprise movie um, that I I mean I I had heard just vaguely that. they they had already completed production on the next Cloverfield movie out of nowhere like it was surprised yeah uh, and I was like oh sweet that we'll probably see that in, I don't know maybe yeah. in a couple months and then apparently I I was watching the football uh, the football the football <laughs>
3: the football <laughs> the big se- old football game the series the, the Super season bowl. finale yeah.
0: <laughs> the season finale of football this year yeah. uh, and uh, it was watching it in Spanish in, in uh, Nicaragua <laughs> and uh, it was great but I was at in a bar and I, I I don't know if I missed it or if we didn't even get it because it's right. a Spanish channel but apparently there was an, uh, an ad or a little teaser yeah. for the cloverfield paradox which as it turns out was then available to watch immediately after the uh the film uh, after the the, 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 finale, the, of the yeah, finale of football. the football um
2: on netflix, on it's netflix. Like, yeah.
0: unbelievable it's uh super super cool and kind of unreal that it was that it was possible and I'll tell you why you know not just because uh not just because of okay they finished a movie but also all the stuff that goes into Putting something on Netflix, you know, as we're discovering in the in the distribution, you know, world, the stuff you need, and then the stuff that gets done that's totally out of your hands, right? And the only reason I kind of thought about it was because I watched this movie in Nicaragua, uh, and I watched it on Nicaragua Netflix, and uh, in the credits. Of course, it was in English, but I could see it in right. Spanish as well. But in the credits, there's like an addend, an addendum to the credits for things, I guess, that are outside of North America. Yes, yes, of course. And so you can like see German subtitling exactly. Or German, like, yeah. yeah. So who is the voice of right, in, yeah. in the Spanish version, who is the you know? So so they would have had to de- deliver not just you know within their own production community, but they would have had to deliver to all these you know studios all over the world, to translate and, or, and dub or, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, exactly. So right, yeah. I, I don't know how they kept that, that under, <laughs> under wraps when you have that many people who are not you know part of the production necessarily. Uh, but are part of the distribution process. Um, yeah, so anyway, main point. Uh, incredible that this this happened. Uh, I was just blown away by that. Not blown away by the movie, right. unfortunately, okay. um, but I really hate spoilers, so
2: that's about as much as I'll say it. You should check it out if you haven't seen it. Uh, my, I, I, as I said at the start of the show, I've been really getting into uh, the directing headspace, which has been a long time since I've been there, um, and I've been learning about color theory Oh. Um, and the video that got me turned on to it was a YouTube video not too long called Mastering the Movie Color Palette uh, and it's a focus on Denis Villeneuve and yeah. um, how he uses color to tell his story um, and of course they talk about Blade Runner a lot because that's kind of the, the best example but they'd also talk about Sicario and Enemy and stuff so um, yeah link to that in the show notes or just just Google uh, Denis Villeneuve Color Palette and you'll probably find it uh, and I've, it's taken me down this massive wormhole of, uh, of, of amazing stuff so I would definitely recommend checking that out very interesting Cool. Okay. Well, that's it. That's all. Thanks as always to Briar uh, for kind of finding, scouring the internet to find all this news for us. Um, mm-hmm. Chad Blaine, who wrote this, the music for the podcast, and Britt Clark, who does the artwork for us. Yes. And if you're an Alberta filmmaker, this podcast is for and about you. So be sure to share uh,
0: the podcast with uh, anyone you think might find it valuable. And, uh, you know, share with us as well what's going on in your world and um you know what's what's important to you if you've got a screening if you've got a shoot you know i love that we we're sharing like there's a cr- you know crew yeah, up on that. Yeah, yeah we need more of that stuff so let us know
2: and, and how can they do that scott well they can reach out to us uh, the best ways through email because that's how we keep our lives organized so mm-hmm. hello at abfilmcast.ca. Uh, just let us know what's up uh, or you can find us on instagram twitter facebook uh, it's all at abfilmcast. Uh, And, of course, subscribe to the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast on iTunes. Give us those sweet five-star ratings. Yes,
0: and be sure to listen to a message from our sponsor, APA. Uh, And once you do, go make make something.
2: The Alberta Filmmakers Podcast is proudly sponsored by APA, the Alberta Post-Production Association. APA represents technical and creative professionals working behind the scenes in editing, sound, and visual effects. Our members live here in Alberta and support producers with expertise in picture editing, colour grading, graphic design, compositing, audio post, music scoring, and so much more. For more information about post-production, visit APA online at albertapost.org.